senior Congress leaders met with senior policemen to start the pogroms, essentially to teach the Sikhs a lesson. Arms deals were a motivation for Britain sending a special forces advisor on how to attack the Sikh faith's holiest site. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Campaign Against Arms Trade podcast. Now if you've been following the influence of the arms trade on the UK government over the decades, then you'll have noticed that the UK's supposed desire to be a promoter of human rights often goes out the window when there's arms deals on the table. At present, the UK is supporting the Saudi-led coalition's brutal bombardment of Yemen because Saudi Arabia is the biggest buyer of UK-made arms. While this is sickening, it is nothing new. In the 1980s, the UK supported another series of atrocities in the hope of arms sales, this time committed by the Indian government against India's Sikh population. Pab Singh is a journalist and the author of 1984, India's Guilty Secret. Before telling us what happened in 1984, though, he'll put things in context with a brief introduction to Sikh history. The the Sikh faith is a, a fairly new faith compared to existing faiths in the area. Emerged at a time of quite a lot of social upheaval, invasions from the north, from from the Mughals, and then and then the Afghans who, who invaded the north of India. There was a lot of intolerance at that time. Forcible conversions took place of Hindus into into Islam, and there was lots of practices amongst the Hindu community, particularly the caste system and the hierarchy of the of the Brahmin caste. Hindus. So so Sikhs sort of emerged from that upheaval. Their adherents came from both Muslims and uh, Hindus, and they were essentially social reformers at the beginning, fought against the caste system, fought against intolerance of religion, and also were reformers in terms of the equality of, of, of women. But unfortunately, that always set them aside to existing powers, be there the Mughals at that time, the British who came along, and and also today with the Indian state. It's particular to the religion that has this revolutionary edge to it. Come 1947, and when the British left, they left in a bit of a hurry. They made a mess of things and partitioned the country without any care of communities and, and villages and where Sikhs lived, which was in the north and the state of the Punjab, that was cut in half, partitioned. So half of the Sikhs were left in what is now Pakistan, had to leave, um, along with their Hindus, Hindus as well. And then with that upheaval there were basically a holocaust of, of Sikhs, Hindus and Muslims, um, Muslims obviously coming from India to join Pakistan. So that was one of the main upheavals in new independent India, but the Sikhs put their lot into the new independent India because of the assurances of the Congress leaders at the time that they would be given a a territory in the north, which they would be given in their words a glow of freedom in a federal India. Unfortunately, after 1947, these promises were were not given and basically they were betrayed. And it was ever since since 1947 that Sikhs have been fighting for regional control of their affairs and more access to water because essentially 
the Punjab is a agrarian state and, and more electricity and also various other issues that cropped up over the years and, and, and that came to a head in 1984. Now what happened in 1984 was an Indian military operation called Operation Blue Star, otherwise known as the Golden Temple Raid or the Second Amritsar Massacre, the first Amritsar Massacre being the one committed by the British in 1919. Pab's book focuses on the aftermath of Operation Blue Star, but to describe the operation itself, here is journalist Phil Miller, author of a recent report commissioned by the Sikh Federation called Sacrificing Sikhs. There were two main events in 1984 that people remember, and then a lot of things that are only coming to light now about what was happening behind the scenes. So the first one was in June 1984, when the Golden Temple complex in Amritsar, which is uh, the equivalent of the Vatican for Sikhs as their holiest site. This was attacked by the Indian army uh, on one of the holiest days in the Sikh calendar. There were thousands of Sikh pilgrims inside, and there was also a group of armed Sikhs who had fortified the temple complex as part of their dispute with the Indian government. So the, the army went in over several days, shelling the Golden Temple, the Indian government say hundreds of people were killed, uh, Sikhs say it was more like thousands of people that were killed over those days. And I know that um, the tanks that the Indian military used on their assault on the Golden Temple, a lot of them were British made, am I right? Yep, so certainly some of the Indian army equipment used in the assault was uh, had been supplied by Britain. What came to light in 2014, so 30 years after that massacre, is that Margaret Thatcher had sent a British SAS officer, a special forces officer, secretly to Amritsar to advise the Indian forces on how to carry out the attack on the Golden Temple. This was in February 1984, so about four months before the massacre took place. And that came to light when I found two letters at the National Archives that had been declassified by accident under the 30-year rule. Normally, uh, any references, any documents about these special forces aren't released to the National Archives and they're not available under the Freedom of Information Act either. But these documents were released accidentally and I found them and that led to David Cameron calling for or ordering a review by his cabinet secretary, by the most senior civil servant, Sir Jeremy Hayward. And he rushed out a report which uh, downplayed the impact of the SAS officer's visit claimed that it had no impact on the assault plan that the Indians actually put into practice months later, and very controversially claimed that arms deals were not in any way a motivation for sending the SAS officer to India. And what's happened more recently is I've brought out a report which shows how much arms deals were a motivation for Britain sending a special forces advisor on how to attack the Sikh faith's holiest site. So do, do you think that the, the UK would have acted in the same way if, if, if arms deals weren't on the table? Or is it impossible to say? The, the evidence in the British government's own files shows that Britain's foreign policy towards India at that time was dominated by arms sales. The, the motivation was to try and sell more weapons to India India obviously is a huge market, you know, large population, and at that time it was beginning to swing away slightly from the Soviet Union. 
So Indira Gandhi, according to the files, Indira Gandhi was unhappy about what the Soviets were doing in Afghanistan. And she was beginning to shift her alignment slightly more to the West. And the UK Foreign Office saw this as an opportunity to sell more weapons to India rather than India buying Soviet equipment. And clearly this would be a great help for the British arms industry, particularly at that time a company called Westlands, which made a lot of um, helicopters, military helicopters, but also civilian helicopters that could be used for, um, in the case of India, they wanted Western helicopters to go out to oil rigs uh, and for servicing um, their oil offshore oil rigs. But Britain had also sold the Indian Navy uh, Sea King helicopters as well. And these contracts were really uh, helpful for keeping Westlands in business and having a British military helicopter manufacturer. Four months after Operation Blue Star, Indian Prime Minister Indira Gandhi was killed by two of her Sikh bodyguards. Pav Singh explained what happened next. Now they assassinated Mrs Gandhi on the 31st of October um, in the morning and for about 24 hours there was no violence so no one took revenge you know Hindus you know, although they were angry they didn't you know set upon Sikhs there were a few attacks but there was no there was only one recorded death in the whole 24 hours but what took place in the evening and in the morning is that senior congress leaders met with senior policemen to start the pogroms the next day and that lasted for four days essentially to teach the Sikhs a lesson not only in killing Mrs Gandhi so the whole of the Sikh community of 15 million um, 2% of the population so a very small minority compared to the other religions they were blamed en masse for the assassination essentially to cut them to size so their uh, request for more regional power in Punjab and, and also it was the Sikhs who were the vanguard of fighting against Mrs. Gandhi's emergency back in 1977. So there was always an element of, you know, Sikhs sort of got above themselves and they need to be cut down inside. So for four days, uh, mobs were busting to Sikh neighbourhoods. Sikh men were first killed and, and then the women were raped and then killed and many children were also massacred in what essentially were genocidal massacres and pogroms and it was only in the fourth day that the army was was brought out properly to stop the violence so it was clearly organized it was targeted and it's orchestrated by leading congress mps and also cabinet ministers mm. um, and then since then they've all evaded justice and they've been a massive cover-up for the last 33 years yeah, uh, and what was the, the UK government's reaction during this? You know, the UK, a lot of UK people would, would expect the government, would hope the government would raise human rights concerns at, when when this kind of thing is happening. It was that Yeah, the case? you would think so. Um, I mean, um, it's not as if they just know. They were actually in Delhi at the time, so Jim Callaghan, the former Labour Prime Minister, was there, Princess Anne was there, and then Mrs. Um, Thatcher arrived for... Gandhi's funeral, and they were fully aware of what was taking place, but they blatantly remained silent. So even in Parliament um, on the second day, you know there was commemoration for the Prime Minister's assassination and her death, but nothing was said of the approximately 8,000 Sikhs who were killed. 
in November 1984, so there was complete indifference. And the main reason for that was that there were trade talks that were happening at the time, um, essentially arms talks. The Brits wanted to sell Westland helicopters mm. to the Indians, and the Indians insisted, well, actually, you need to put down your Sikh dissidents in the UK first of all. So for that reason, the, um, the British remained silent and indifferent to the human rights abuses that had taken place and um, have done for the last 33 years. Um, both Conservative, Labour and Coalition have not um, confronted or called to account what took place in 84 or not called to account Congress Party's role in, in the genocide and carried on with the narrative from the Indian authorities that what essentially took place was a riot, not um, a genocide. And so, you know, obviously there's been massive failures by the UK government for decades now. Uh, what, what can the UK government do now to kind of make amends? Or what, what would you propose campaigning for? I would first of all propose that they actually recognise what took place in 84 as a, as a genocide, a series of genocidal massacres, mass rape and crimes against humanity. All the correspondence that I've, I've had whether it's from Labour foreign ministers like um, David Miliband, probably six, seven years ago, and Hugh Swise, who was the Minister of State. Both of them have carried on the narrative of the Indian authorities that essentially took place with a riot, a communal riot. And I think that's one thing that need to, they need to correct publicly, that what took place was a genocide, a targeted up Sikhs, and it was orchestrated by the leading Congress Congress leaders at the time, so there's, a, there's an element of acknowledgement, and without that, the, the crime hasn't been taken serious, not only in India, but also in in the West, um, and also a condemnation of what took place, and they've, they've never actually condemned it. So that, that would be the first point, I think, and it, it's pretty obvious um, that they, they took the decision in 1984 to opt for trade and arms above human rights. Yeah, and that's quite a common theme when you look at UK arms policy distorting distorting our, yeah. our foreign policy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, it's, you can you can see the pattern uh, whether you look at the arms to Indonesia, you know, the the, the the arms that were sold to Chile, or you know, the human rights abuses, and the West basically turned turned a blind eye to crimes under General Pinochet and the close closeness of Thatcher with, with, with the general is, is well documented. And then even currently, the way the relationship is with Saudi Arabia. But according to Pavanfield, the UK government did not just turn a blind eye to and support India's repression of Sikhs, but went as far as repressing the UK's own significant Sikh population. Phil Miller explains more. Britain became so keen to uh, appease the Indian government, despite the human rights violations that it knew India was perpetrating at that time against its own population, that Britain was willing to help curtail the civil liberties of Sikhs in the UK so that uh, India would agree to or keep wanting to buy British weapons. And so it was put in quite stark terms by Indian officials that certain Sikhs in the UK were regarded as troublemakers and that they needed to be kept an eye on. There were Sikh, particularly Sikh protests outside the Indian High Commission in London, 
were a cause of particular concern uh, for the Indian authorities. And so the police took efforts to try and divert marches away from the Indian High Commission or to place restrictions on the freedom of assembly of British Sikhs living as British citizens in this country under the British rule of law. So there we have it, the desire for arms sales warping the UK's foreign and domestic policy once again. I'd like to thank Pav Singh and Phil Miller for taking the time to talk to us and to urge you to read Pav's book, 1984, India's Guilty Secret and Phil Miller's report, Sacrificing Sikhs, which is available on the Sikh Federation's website. Thanks very much for listening.